If someone you just met asked you who you are, what would you say? You would probably start by telling them your name. Why? Because your name is your identity. It's how people recognize you. But beyond that, what would you say? You might answer by telling them your work or your profession, maybe your marriage status, how many kids you have, maybe where you live or your hobbies, what you like to do. How you define yourself says a lot about who you are. But sometimes we don't know how to answer that question. Who am I? If you don't know who you are, how do you know which way to go in life? That's the question we'll be discussing this week. When I was a kid, I would ask my parents and grandparents to tell me stories about themselves. I wanted to know where I came from. I remember thinking it was so cool when my grandpa and my dad would tell me stories of working at the big blue paper mill in Sartell. My grandpa worked there all his life, and my dad did too. That is, until the fire. And when I worked there for a few years during college, I remember feeling a strange connection to that place, an odd comfort in being part of the heritage that was mine, my father's, and my father's father, inside that big blue building, with its endless humming and churning and pattern banging, and the turning of the massive paper machines, and the whir of the hydroelectric generators in the dam, in the wood room where the logs came in and were stripped of their bark by an enormous spinning drum with teeth on the inside, in the blackness on my hands from shoveling coal and raking hot ash from the boilers, in the jet engine whine of the big turbine air compressors that I checked the oil on, the spots on the roof where we snuck out to take breaks and take in the surrounding view. And so I will always remember that warm sunny day back in 2012 while I was driving on Interstate 90 between Big Timber and Columbus and Montana when my dad called me and told me there had been an explosion and a massive fire was now raging in the paper room. Later I learned that the fire started as a massive electrical explosion from one of the turbine air compressors, the area, the machines that I have checked on daily the summer before. It was surreal. I could see in my mind the exact place where the explosion took place. I knew where the I-beams were on the walls that the fire melted, and which compromised the entire building's structure. So when the bulldozers and excavators came later on and leveled the mill, a piece of my grandfather, my father, and myself was lost. I thank God that only one person lost their life that day. We all long for a connection to the past, to understand where we are from, our heritage, to know who we are. But things break, fires burn, relationships and places decay, and leave us wondering if what was lost can ever be found again. It's kind of like that longing to return to our childhood home. Yet when we return to those places, we find that feeling we are looking for is no longer there. The places are different, and the romance of the longing is lost. So, in this world where things and people and places decay, where our work often seems vain, how can we possibly find comfort in our heritage, in our identity, and who we're from? Let's look at the text today and see if we can answer this question together. We'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 through chapter 3, verse 10. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children? And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, 
We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So the first point that really stands out in this passage is 1. See God's love shown now in calling you his child. But what does it mean that we're called God's children? It means we are his. We are from him and of him. Just like a child resembles and acts like their own parents, so as we, as God's children, act and look like our Father in heaven. Because God is our Father, we have nothing to fear. He protects us. He understands our weaknesses. And he has been patient with us. Psalm 103, verses 8-18 through 18 really point this out. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us, or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve, or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him, and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. God knows us and our frailty. He knows how sheepish and frail and backsliding we are. Yet he loves us. That's why he sent Jesus to deal with our sin and offer us salvation. The chance to be made new, to be free from our sin, free from our addictions, free from fears, free from death. We can't fix ourselves, so he came to fix us and make us new so that we could be with him eternally. He gives us a new inheritance an everlasting heritage, and answers the age-old question, Who am I? He answers that question for us. He declares us to be his, his children. That was his purpose for us from the foundations of time, before the making of this world by his word, to create us in his image, to bear his image, to be like him. David reflects on this amazing truth in Psalm 8. He says, O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him, that's us, his people, a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is is your name in all the earth. Indeed, knowing that we are dearly loved children of God causes us to worship him. 
that we are God's children is true now. It is a present reality. Our heritage, our name, will be forever child of the living God. But there's a problem. The world did not recognize this hope. It did not recognize Jesus, nor does it recognize us. Recall these words from John's Gospel. Speaking of Jesus, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those are John's words in his gospel. It's the same John who wrote the letter that we're looking at today, First John. And it's in the same way in this letter, as in his gospel, that because the world does not recognize us, because they didn't recognize our Father. Do you understand what he's saying? The world didn't recognize Jesus nor will they recognize us. They did not recognize Jesus because they hated him for the truth he brought, the sin he revealed, because he helped those who we love to hate. Remember how disgusted the Pharisees were with Jesus for his dining with sinners and tender love towards the worst of people, toward backstabbing tax collectors, to women that got around or caught in adultery. And remember his love toward the sick, who nobody wanted to be around, out of fear they would catch it too. Let that one sink in. Jesus loved them, the COVID infected, and healed them, and those that were in power hated it. And in the same way, the world does not recognize us because they hate our righteousness. They don't understand it. It's not logical to them. So in this world of fool's gold, remember that Jesus was righteousness demonstrated for us. He showed us the way to live. Of course, we're not God, as Jesus was, but we are all called to walk and live as he did, no matter what it costs us, no matter how great the suffering. Jesus said much of the same in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 26. He said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. 
And so today, that helper is here, the Holy Spirit, and he has borne witness to us that Jesus is the Christ, and that same Spirit dwells in us, so that we too would bear witness about Jesus to this world. That is why God sent us his Spirit. And if you feel like the Holy Spirit isn't with you, it's probably because you're ignoring the impulse of the Spirit on your soul to be a witness of Jesus, to speak the truth of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven to those around you, to pray for them, to make right what is broken in your family and in your own heart. The Spirit is the presence of God given to us so that we can walk as Jesus walked. I think that is what John is getting at when he says, Back in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, we will be like him. We have the Spirit's help now to become like him. Yet when he appears, we will truly see him as he is and understand things completely. Then, there, we will be made perfectly pure. The new heaven and the new earth will no longer be foggy images and longings of distant shores in our mind, but the tangible physical reality of perfect beauty perfect love, peace, relationship, and goodness, all in the presence of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Friends, see what God has offered us. See, this is the love of God for you. But remember, children are like their father, and that's what John really wants us to remember from this passage. We are children of God and can rest assured of that truth as believers. Let's read on, looking at chapter 3. Verses 4 through 10. There John writes to us, Everyone who commits sin practice lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. And here's the second point. Two, don't be deceived. Children are like their father. We are either, one, children of God, which are described as righteousness and purity and love for others, specifically believers, or B, children of the devil, which he's describing as sin and lawlessness and hatred of believers. We're either children of righteousness and purity, or children of sin and lawlessness. Jesus taught us that we will know a tree by its fruit, and that's really the same idea that John is getting at here. Just to demonstrate, take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, which read, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Remember again that John has written this letter to comfort people in a church where broken up by a schism. We know that false teachers, spreading lies from within, have now gone out from their midst. These people to whom John speaks are hurt. They're confused about the truth. They're wondering what is true and what is a lie. Was the gospel we heard from the beginning really the gospel? Did Jesus really come as a real person and die? Was he really the Son of God? Am I really a child of God? Those were the questions they were asking. And if you yourself are wondering any of these questions, let me encourage you with how John encouraged these same people. He said in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See here how Jesus makes us righteous by cleansing us? All of us have sinned. That's clear as day. Or say the opposite is to call God a liar. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus and have repented of your sins, you're a child of God. We have all sinned. We have all fallen so short. But God's mercy and love for us as his children extends further than we could ever imagine. This is not an excuse to continue sinning, but rather a reminder to repent and turn again and again to Jesus, the healer, the miracle worker, the one who can heal our hearts and broken souls and forgive us. It's a call to pursue Christ-likeness and love for our brothers and sisters. He is a good, good father, and we are his children. Recently, my wife and I were having a conversation with a friend who was doubting whether God would actually forgive her past sins or not. She had professed faith in Jesus as a child, but made mistakes along the way and lived for many years with little shame or guilt over her continued sin. She wondered if she could really be saved, if the sin of her past that went unconfessed for so long could be forgiven. And in response to her concern of being too far gone, we shared with her the story of the chosen people, which is really all of our story as followers of Christ. It's the story of the Bible, simply put. It's the story of how God, from the beginning, chose his people, not based off of merit, but because they were his. Remember the story of Abraham and how he denied that Sarah was his wife out of fear? Isaac, Abraham's son, did the same thing to his wife, Rebekah. Jacob, the deceiver, Moses murdered a man. David lusted and stole another man's wife. And the story really just continues on and on. It's the story of Israel, God's chosen people who continually rebel and turn away from God. And God continues to offer them hope. He continues to forgive them. He does not leave them, but restores them again and again and again. Yet when God sent the Messiah to his people, they hated him and killed him. They hated their God himself. The story is the same throughout the apostles, rough and tough laborers and fishermen, blue-collar working-class people who fought over who is the best, who abandoned Jesus when it mattered most. It was these apostles, through those apostles, and through the disciples who followed them through the ages, God has chosen to work. 
These are his people. Murderers, prostitutes, thieves, wishy-washy and indecisive, weak-hearted fools, who can never really say we deserve all that much if we're honest with ourselves. These are the chosen ones. The weak, the poor, the lonely, the desolate, the sick and hopeless. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so now if you cry out to him and ask him to forgive and heal you from your sin, he will, and he will call you his child, giving you an eternal heritage and identity that never burns down. He will give you a home and an inheritance and a purpose, and he will be with you through it all. And so I ask you to do this in response. See God's love demonstrated for you in calling you his child. Don't be deceived by sin and lawlessness. Don't be deceived by false prophets. Rather, rest assured that the Spirit of God has been given to you to become righteous and pure, to become like Jesus, to walk as he walked, to shine light into darkness, to spread the hope of the gospel and the kingdom of God. See, don't be deceived. Thank you all for listening, and remember to join us next Wednesday when we will be discussing what it means to love one another from John chapter 3, 11 through 24. Until then, may God bless you, and may you see the love of God for you in calling you his child.